We're going to continue our conversation in Psalm 112. So if you have a Bible with you this evening, perhaps you could turn there. And um, the title of this little series that I started to do is The Blessed Life. I think sometimes the blessed life for many of us can feel a little elusive. Have you noticed that? You know, here we are, we've just been away on this wonderful encounter and my hope, my prayer, my belief, my confidence is that the men that have been on this encounter feel blessed. Gentlemen, we're waiting for a nod or a response of some description. Thank you. They feel blessed. But how do we sustain a blessed life? Is it just circumstantial? Is it down to a consistent visiting of conferences and encounters? What kind of of consistency can we have as we seek to be the kind of people that live in the blessings of God? Well, I believe in Psalm 112, we kind of find some of the answers and uh, maybe you can read it with me and I'll highlight a couple of things for our consideration this week. Psalm 112 verse 1. Praise the Lord. I am convinced and convicted that a blessed life is a life that is in consistent and persistent gratitude and thankfulness towards God. If you want a foundation stone to to build your life upon, build it upon that truth. We are by default negative people, but in the kingdom, there is no such thing as negativity. If we're learning a new language, it's the language of thankfulness, gratefulness, gratitude to God for all that he's done. And there's something about gratitude that makes the worst day in your life something that God can use for his good. We said last week that when we are grateful and thankful and consistently pursuing a lifestyle of praising the Lord, God is good and He's consistently good. What we do is we lift ourselves to a place where we can access some of that goodness. And because He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow and forever, my circumstances have to come in line with His goodness. So if you want a blessed life, you need to develop a lifestyle of thankfulness. It says, blessed are those who fear the Lord. There is a reverence and a respect and an honor that we should give to God. And that's absolutely true. And you know, for many, many years, I think sometimes if I'm honest with you, coming from the background I came from, I thought sometimes people in charismatic environments were just a little bit too familiar with God. I mean, I went to a church that initially called him Daddy. I mean, father seemed hard enough to contend with, but daddy just felt a little bit intimate. It felt a bit too familiar. But you know, there is an awe that's required in the way that we live our lives. If we want to be blessed people, we need to live in that kind of expectant awe that God is the God of the universes and he is in relationship with us. And it says here in verse one that there is a blessing that comes from that. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. The third thing that we hear and see here as a a precursor to blessing is that we delight in the law of the Lord or we delight in the word of God. Now, I've just been away on a weekend with some men and we've been talking a little bit about how we engage with the word of God. And there are tendencies, and I think in our Western culture, to think that the more scripture we read, the more scripture we understand. And sometimes we can force feed ourselves just, you know, page after page of of beautiful and most glorious instruction and revelation of God and not necessarily always have anything after it that we can utilize in our relationship and our intimacy with God. We are called by God to savor his word. His word is the choicest of wines and there's so much depth and breadth and power and goodness and 
We need to learn a little bit, I think, how to meditate on the Word of God day and night. And so for many, many years, I've practiced something in my life. I was at Bible college once. I know it's hard to believe, but I did go. I was at Bible college once, and I was in a prayer meeting with two young men. Uh, one of them was called Alan Scott. He's gone on to have this incredible ministry. And the other is Paul Collin, and he's gone on to have an incredible ministry too. And then there was me. And, <laughs> and we had our eyes shut, and we were praying, and we were praising God. And Paul, I could hear his voice. He just began to what I thought uh, was reading the Psalms. And he started off with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. For he is like a tree planted by a stream of life. And he just recited for the first Psalm, the second Psalm, the third Psalm. The and we were on about Psalm 6 and I opened my eyes thinking he was reading from the Bible. And actually he had memorized all of the Psalms word for word. He was 18 years of age. Well, you know, I was just so impressed with that. So impressed with that. And when, when we'd finished praying together and I got over my great inadequacy uh, in regard to, to memorizing scriptures, I, I said to him, Paul, how long have you been practicing that? And he said, oh, I've been doing this since I was six. You know, my father, he just taught us to meditate on the Word of God. Now, there is a difference between study and meditation. And, and we have to be the kind of people that do both. We want to really understand the, the deep theological truths of the Scriptures, but we also need to come to the Scriptures with a curiosity and a heart to desire to know and to receive and experience the affection of God more profoundly in our lives. That when we have a knowledge of His love for us, we actually are capable as a result of that of loving Him even more. So three things we covered last week on a starting point for us in a conversation about how we can live this so-called and often seemingly blessed life that has been on offer to us through Jesus Christ. But I want to take us, if we can, to the second sentence here, um, verse 2. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of their upright will be blessed. You could say amen there, that's a good place. Now, I know this one is going to excite you, but but... Just try and hold back a little bit. Wealth and riches are in their houses. See, I knew it would excite you. I knew it would excite you. And their righteousness endures forever. So let's go back to that second part of the scripture here. Verse 2. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. I don't know if you realize this, but your life is a lot bigger than you think it is. Not only are you blessed, is there anybody blessed here to date? You know why you're blessed, don't you? You're blessed to be a blessing to others. But you're also doing and providing something else. You're setting a pattern of example which other people can follow. You know, when my daughter looks at my life, I hope that she sees that I have a relationship with God Almighty that is, that is in some senses impacting the way I think and the way I act and the way I live. But what I know is a byproduct of that is that she's learning as a result of my orientation some things that she perhaps would not have had access to if she had just been brought up in a home that wasn't Christian. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy about such a thing. He says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me 
in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. And what Paul is saying is that by, by building his life according to the principles of God, Timothy has an example to work with. It's like the Word of God with skin on. It's faith with a demonstration of how it works out in our lives. And the righteous man in Psalm 112 is suggesting that that kind of influence is a byproduct of our blessedness. Not only are we blessed to be in relationship with God, not only are we to expect blessing and indeed to, uh, to be stirred by the possibilities of blessing, but actually that blessing has an impact on the way we live and therefore consequently the evidence that we reveal to other people. See, I believe when you are devoted and given over to God, that your life is far more expansive than perhaps you feel. And I don't know if you, like me, feel a consistent sense of inadequacy. Is there anybody else who can identify with that? You know, over this weekend, we were chatting with some people about the next step on their journey. And many of them have been committed to being part of a cell for a long, long time. And, and one conversation, I think a gentleman over here will remember, I said that part of the stumbling block to us is that we think there shouldn't be a gap between what we have and what's required. I would like to suggest to you that the gap is a good thing because the kingdom of God is so vast and so great and my capacity sometimes feels very small and inadequate. There is only one possibility with those equations. I'm going to need more of God's help. And when the task is greater than my capacity, I have an invitation to move from a place of inadequacy into a place of dependency. To step out of my human ability to do something and to step towards, by faith, the invitation that God has set before me so that He can do great and glorious things through my ordinary and everyday life. Your life is far more influential than you realized. In Proverbs 13 verse 22, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children, a legacy, something that goes beyond his human experience, goes way beyond a house or a lump sum of money or indeed something that you've left somebody in a will. This week on Thursday evening, my mother-in-law went to be with Jesus. Oh, we're really, really, don't be sad. We're really grateful to God. She has battled with cancer for seven years. And a number of months ago in my conversations with her around, you know, how she would like a funeral to be set up. And, and you know, it's always a bit strange talking to somebody who's alive about their funeral. But after I got past the little awkwardness that I felt about that, she said, the only one request I have before the Lord, well, maybe two, Simon, is this, that when I die, I die in my sleep. And she said that because a neighbor who she was very friendly with actually had cancer and died a very, very difficult death with a huge amount of pain and discomfort. And she'd witnessed that and she was concerned about that. The other thing that she asked the Lord for and we prayed together about is that her family would be present. She said, I want to die in my sleep and I want my family to be present. And on Thursday night at about quarter to seven, all of the things that she prayed that God would do for her, he did for her. Her family were present and she took her last breath. She had slept for 48 hours. Can you imagine sleeping for 48 hours? And she just drifted away and she went to be with the Lord. And you know, I say that because 
Not only is that something I think is a blessing that she's gone to be with the Lord. I think so often whenever I lose people in my life, I lost my mom a number of years ago. I think about how it affects me, but actually Jill's passion was to be in the presence of God. And she left this earth, but she left behind a legacy that still lives on. You see, my wife's faith is based on her mother's faith. She watched her mother who lost her husband many, many years ago while Jane was six. She lost her father. She watched her mother faithfully come to church every Sunday of her life. She watched her mother be hospitable to strangers and people who had less than they had as a family. That lady raised four children without much money and had three jobs, most of which she got paid a pittance to do. There was a demonstration, an application of the faith that my mother-in-law had that has left a legacy behind. It's influenced and impacted the whole of the family. And although she's not with us, what she demonstrated to us is a life well spent loving Jesus and loving people. And it goes way beyond any inheritance that's earthly. It's a supernatural inheritance that I believe will have an impact on those who follow. In fact, my daughter, she's 20 now, she is so highly impacted by her grandmother's faith. In fact, she has a little phrase, you know, every day may not be the best day of your life, but if you look for the best thing in every day that's not the best day of your life, you'll know the best of God. And you know, just that little phrase, Emily goes around saying to me all the time, when I'm grumbling about people, and you know, I do, she she says, well, every day might not be the, oh, here we go. Might not be the best day of your life. But if you look for the best thing in every day of your life, you will start to live differently. Church, I want to encourage you to believe that you have a capacity to have a powerful effect on other people's lives. Not just those in your immediate places of connection, but those that are in your family or they have witnessed your faith in Jesus through difficult times. They have watched you in the high days and the holidays and the horrible days. And you have had this consistent love and affection and belief and confidence in God. And you know, they may not say an awful lot to you right now, but I just want to encourage you to believe that every decision you've made to keep honoring Jesus in the midst of some difficult times, difficult seasons has had an impact on the people around you. Psalm 37, verse 25 to 26 says this, I have been young and now I'm old. That sounds like my story. (laughs) And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. He, that is God, is ever merciful. He lends and his descendants are blessed. Someone say amen to that. You see, the promise of God for a righteous life is that the blessing in your life will be passed on to those around you. It's not just something to keep to ourselves. It's something that permeates from our lives and affects those that are witnesses to all that God is doing. That's why it's important that I stay blessed. You see, it's important that I live a life that's full of love and delight and passion and desire for God because it isn't just about my soul connecting with Him. I'm opening an opportunity or maybe a gateway from others, for others to see and to connect with him also. The second thing that this blessed man highlights to us 
in regard to the way he functions and lives his life is also found in verse 2 of Psalm 112. It says, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Church, can I just remind you that God always works generationally. From generation to generation, the blessings of the Lord are passed on. Now, looking back over my own family tree, I can see that God had great desire through the generations to bless my family. I come from a show business family. I say I come from a traveling family. It's the nearest thing to show business that I can actually give you as an illustration. Now, we're nomadic people. We go wherever the work is. We go wherever the gig is. But you know, in my family, there have been repeated attempts by God to bring blessing. My family haven't walked with God, unfortunately. Many of them still don't walk with God, but there is great hope because three or four key people are now born again believers and they love Jesus. In fact, one cousin of mine, Philippa Hannah, is going all over the world peddling the gospel through music. And if you've ever heard of Philippa, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, young lady, just bringing messages of hope to a generation. And uh, I'm very excited to see what God is doing through her life. Maybe the prayer was worth it after all, Father. <laughs> I remember conversations with her dad who was a bit kind of strange. He believed that Jesus was an astronaut that had come to the earth. <laughs> But you know, God, when I look back over my family, has sought on a number of times through generational uh, experiences to bring people to a place of faith. My mother, when she gave birth to her last son, Martin, uh, my youngest brother, she almost died. She had septicemia and she almost died. And, and in that moment, in her, in her Catholic understanding, she started to pray. And she started to pray that God would bring healing to her body and that God would keep her family together. And my little brother, Martin, he had a, a few struggles as he came into this world. You know, God in his infinite wisdom generationally has been trying to connect my family to the truth of who he is for a long time. When I look back, I see the blessings in my family of prophetic ability. My mother, my grandmother, my my aunties, the people who are involved in the world of show business, they had a gift that was given to them by God. Unfortunately, they didn't use it for God. You know, they had a seeing gift. They could tell all kinds of things about people by just one conversation or even a handshake. Often my mother would say when she shook hands with somebody that she could tell there was something about that person that in some senses she needed to respond to. Unfortunately, she didn't realize that that was a gift given to our family from God. And here we are all these years later and I've become a born again Christian. Don't believe the PR. I actually have become a born again Christian. And, and God, the first thing he, he, he opened up to me in my relationship with him was the gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, discernment, and indeed some of those wonderful gifts because he redeemed them whenever he redeemed me. You see, the good news to all of us here tonight is that no matter what your background or your heritage is, you can only change the course of your life by coming into relationship with God. And when you do come into relationship with God, you reset the course for the generations that will follow after you. The moment you give your life to Jesus is the moment a new heritage begins. The Bible says something like this in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and then when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you raise a child in an environment of hope, 
No matter what the circumstances of that child's life is, the promise of God in His Word here is that He will return to the very things that maybe he or she has for seasons indeed stepped away from. And this works both positively and negatively. You know, in my family, from a negative point of view, in spite of all the great blessing there was to be part of my family, we were a family that had a persecution complex. Now, I don't know if any of you come from a family that are victimized in their thinking. My family believed that everybody was against them. Does that ring a bell for anybody here tonight? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that somebody isn't following you. And my mother always operated with mistrust. She would say things like this. She had wonderful sayings. I think she should have wrote a book on Proverbs. She said, you only have one friend in this world. That sounds like good news doesn't it? And then she'd say, it's your pocket. <laughs> and just to kind of nail it home, she'd say, and when it's empty, it's not your friend either. <laughs> Which for us wasn't a good thing because it was generally empty. And, and so she was saying, you can't trust anybody, you can't trust anything. You know, when I became born again, that which had been deposited generationally in my life needed to be redeemed by God. And God began to do a work in my life where instead of being suspicious about people's motives, I actually found myself engaging with people with a huge amount of trust. A huge amount of trust. And to this day, God has kept that alive. I think everybody's good until something bad happens. And when something bad happens, I prefer to believe that everybody's good. You say, I don't want to live my life confined by mistrust. I refuse to be a victim. Circumstances, situations, all kinds of things happen to us. But the truth is, if we stay there in our minds, we're no longer victims, we're volunteers. And I refuse to be a volunteer to anything that has tried to reduce or restrict or confine my true identity. We can't have a victim mentality and live in fullness. In fact, if you have a victim mentality, you think God is victimizing you because that mentality will cause you to see God in negative ways, in ways and manners in which are so wrong in comparison to his truest character and nature. So we have blessings, but we also have challenges both positively and negatively in our lives. But the righteous man in Psalm 112 identifies to us that because of his relationship with God, not only has it an impact on the people around him, but also it has an impact on the generations that are coming after him. That almost he's setting up those who follow him for greater exploits in God. One more story about Jane's family to illustrate this point. In about 1900 and frozen to death, Jane's grandfather, Mr. Bullivant, was a drunk. And, and he would spend most of his money in the pub. Now, he managed to father 13 children. I say father. I don't think he was very much there. In a two-up, two-down terrace house, 13 children. I mean, you think you're crowded because you've got a cat and a dog. 
Imagine living with 13 children. That's a phenomenal amount of children, isn't it? I don't know how he ever remembered anybody's name. In fact, the truth is that often he would call them different names. <laughs> and one night, a friend of his bet him five pounds, which was a lot of drinking money, that if he went into this mission hall and created a ruckus, he would give him five pounds and they could go off out to the pub after it and, and have a good night together. Now, the reason why this was a challenge that was attractive to him is Mr. Bullivant's wife was a born-again Christian. I mean, there's nothing like 13 children to bring you to the foot of the cross, is there? I mean, that would bring you home to Jesus, wouldn't it? And so she was a prayer warrior. She used to pray for her children. Every night she'd bless them in the name of Jesus. She'd pray for her husband. She'd been praying for her husband for a number of years and nothing happened. And this night, because he was trying to make a point, I suppose, to God, he went into the mission hall just for the goal of getting a fiver. And he was a little bit worse the wear, to be honest with you. And as he walked through the door and they're singing, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering son, in a flash he sobered up. And when it came to the appeal at the end of this meeting, which was in a tiny little mission hall in the middle of Birmingham somewhere, he would testify when he told this story to his children, his grandchildren, he could not stop himself from standing up and walking to the front. And that night, for all the most incredible reasons, the prayer of his loyal and faithful wife, the passion of God to interrupt uh, a life that was heading in one direction and could have destroyed so many things that were good around it, God met with Mr. Bullivant. And Mr. Bullivant got truly born again. I mean, he got fanatical. He started going to church. It's fairly fanatical, isn't it? It's fanatical for somebody who was so against it. He was insatiable about reading the Bible. That's fairly fanatical. I mean, the only thing he ever read were the horses. Started reading the Bible, insatiable thirst to read the Bible. And you know, every single night he would go around when his wife wasn't looking because he couldn't give in to that. And he would put his hand on each one of his children as they slept in their bed and he would pray the blessing of God on their life. Now that night in a mission hall, it wasn't just one man whose life was impacted by what God wanted to do. There was 13 children whose lives forevermore would be impacted by what God wanted to do. Those 13 children married. That's 26 people. And you know, because they'd had such a great mother, they all wanted multiple children. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone in the family, <laughs> apart from us, maybe, uh, Jane's the grandchild, that actually have less than four or five children. And they all came to church and they all served and they all loved the Lord. You see, God thinks generationally. I think circumstantially. It's important for us to know that our lives, because they are blessed, can impact the people around us. That's true. And many are watching and learning from you as you live day by day in relationship to God. You are blessed to be a blessing and to open up blessing to others. But also, church, I want to remind you that the blessing that you have in your life 
has the capacity generationally to change the lives of people who come after you. See, when you live according to God's principles, you are passing on blessings to future generations. And now probably the bit you've all been waiting for, Psalm 112 verse 3, wealth and riches will be in their house. Another promise to those who are living the blessed life is that wealth and riches will actually be accessible and available to them. I want to suggest to you that there are some in the church who are a little uncomfortable with that. There are some who think it's a blessing to be poor. Now, I just want to suggest to them that they've never been poor. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't think that being poor was a blessing. Amen? Somebody once said to me, you know, can God not bless you in your poverty? Yes, he can. But if I'm going to be, you know, uh, in relationship with God, I should have this expectation that God has a desire to connect with me in such a way that my soul prospers and my life prospers. When I first went into the ministry, I really struggled with this because I'd had a reasonably good life. And I looked at the pastor and I overheard one of the deacons say that we'll keep him poor and God will keep him humble. How warped is our thinking around such matters? If the God that we worship is a God of abundance, a God who's pressed down, shaken up and overflowing in all his capacities and glories and goodness, then we should have some form of expectation that he would bless us in our lives. You see, wealth and greed are not the same things. And just so we're clear about this, prosperity is a word frequently found in the Bible. And so are the words blessing and wealth and riches and abundance. And I can't find a scripture that states that is God's will for us to be poor and destitute. Let me read you this from Psalm 35 verse 27. It says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. In other words, our blessedness, our prosperity, our overflowing, gifted and gloriously in interconnection with God actually is something that God rejoices over. Emily, a number of years ago, um, took a job in a pub just across the street from where we live. You know, it, it was a nightmare for me because as a father, I didn't want her to walk there. She didn't want, as a daughter, for me to drive her there. And so we used to watch her walk there. You remember this, Paul and Kate. And that was okay in the summer, but when it actually started to get dark, I would be standing at the gate like a stalker, <laughs> watching her as she just crossed the road and went to this pub. And I remember the first time she came back with her wage packet. I mean, it would have felt that night that she'd won the lottery. I think it was something like 35 pounds. But she was so excited that she had done something that had created some kind of, you know, wealth or, or, or blessing to her. And right there in the moment, my Jane always is ruthless with things like this. And she said, how much did you get, Emily? And she said, 35 pounds. That's three pound 50 that needs to go in the offering on Sunday. And Emily like looked a little shocked, a little dismayed because I think every penny of that had been accounted for. 
And Jane says, do you want the Lord to keep blessing you, Emily? And she said, yes, I do. And she said, well, then do what the Lord asked you to do and then he'll be able to bless you. And that Sunday, I watched out of the corner of my eye in church as her £3.50 very begrudgingly left her hand and entered in to the treasury of the church. You see, if we want the Lord to bless us, we must also seek to be a blessing to him and a blessing to other people around us. And just like any loving parent, it's our Heavenly Father's delight to bless us and to give us as good a life as we possibly can have. In 3 John 1 verse 2, it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and in health, just as your soul prospers. Now, money and wealth and those things, they can't buy you family or even great relationships or a good reputation or even physical health. But don't underestimate God's capacity, desire and delight to bring blessings and to bring abundance to your heart and to your life. You see, a truly prosperous person in the right sense, not a greedy person, a prosperous person, actually is a demonstration of the goodness of God here on the earth. And a truly prosperous person desires the fullness of God, not just with wealth, but with every facet and every area of our lives. 